Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. As usual, I'm Bradley and I'm joined by Ben Hello. and Stu. Hey, okay, so usually we would start with a chat about what we've been playing and having some fun with some of the games we've, we've been going over. However, this previous week has brought mental health into the, into, into the forefront of the nation's consciousness and has shone a light on the negative impact of the media and social media and all those sorts of things with the unfortunate and untimely death of Caroline Flack who took her own life um, in the build-up to a court case that was pressing ahead we've really got to discuss how we as a human race I suppose deal with mental health and deal with mental health within other people we meet on social media and especially in celebrities and how we treat celebrities. And it's really quite a sad state of affairs. Um, I mean, again, I know not knowing much, but having obviously heard the news and seen what's gone on, what's your opinion of, I suppose, Stu, you're in this country like me, but Ben, you've not been, I suppose, had the British media in your face for the last decade. What, what, What is the opinion of the way the media treat celebrity especially those who are vulnerable the most glaring aspect i've noticed i've had touch points with the british media whilst being overseas and obviously i've been back now since the start of the year but the most glaring aspect for me is just the complete lack of accountability and that's Mm. not just in the press that's just generally people whether they're anonymous users uh, with a handful of followers or well-known public figures they can pretty much say what they want online with complete impunity the whole thing with Caroline Flack, we're seeing there's a the, the press is very good of, and online users are very good at taking a moral stance. Um, and in the press's case, very good at taking a moral stance for as long as it sells newspapers or generates clicks. But, you know, over the, the coming weeks, so I'm, they, I'm sure they already have done, they've paid lip service to mental health and spoken out about certain vulnerabilities. But in the, same edi- in the same editions, they'll contradict themselves by chastising a celebrity for wearing a certain dress or putting on weight or tumbling out of a nightclub, you know, hide it behind, oh, look at them, they're going off the rails. But we don't know, you know, the, the full context or the circumstance that might have led to that. So again, I think it just takes me back to that idea that they can act with complete impunity and, you know, very quick to point the finger at things that are wrong. but actually don't take accountability for their own part to play in in incidents such as this yeah and actually you bring up a good point with regards to um the lip service that's paid and then the contradicting stuff they put out with it and what you start to get and you like you said with the papers it's the hypocrisy that goes with it and what i'm hoping we're going to start seeing now um and some of the good that might come out of um Caroline Flack's uh, tragic death is more and more people waking up to, for want of a better word, just how scummy some of the media really is. Rather than just a week of sorrow and people going, oh, the papers are mean, they actually start to go, no, this is wrong. We have got to do something about it. With the focus on mental health, it's hopefully now more and more people are starting to go, no, something is seriously wrong. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, it's a really dense topic. It's it's difficult to get into and cover everything. But mm. the things that you can, that you see immediately that jump out at you and sort of spike in your consciousness is we had 
a similar sort of situation a few years ago with Amy Winehouse. And there was a general expression in public you know, discourse that a milestone had been reached and that people recognised that the media was at least partly responsible for driving her to a situation where her mental health was completely you know, destroyed almost. And that they were complicit in that and that the general public by extension were also complicit. And there was quite a lot of debate at the time and conversation around it. Hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, the following that, unless I'm missing something, there was no legislation over the media about how they treat people. Um, no firming up of in, in legal terms of how they can treat people uh, in their publications. And because of that, obviously, once that passes out of public memory, recent memory, which is very short, you only have to give it three to five years and people have forgotten entirely the way they behave. And it's, it's not an exact um, repetition of what happened with Amy Winehouse, but it's, it's got similar characteristics and it's this building up of an individual, uh, often a person who is a fairly normal person and they elevate them and they don't recognize that the media don't recognize the fact that they are uh, elevating somebody who has talent. It's almost as if they feel they own that talent and they can create or destroy it at a whim. And they exploit that person uh, as much as they possibly can. And then when they're bored or when there's drama in their life, which is often caused by poor mental health, then they jump on that and then they use it as an opportunity to create further drama. And without legislation, then that won't stop in the press. But to say, to jump on something you said, Brad, and agree, I think that people's reactions this time round are different. And I think because slowly perceptions of people's mental health and how they're treated by the public and on social media is changing. It's slow. It's like a you know, a huge cruise ship trying to turn around in the ocean. But I think it is thankfully changing. One of the things I often hear, you take the outside elements, but people go, but what else is going on in their mind? It must be something else. It can't be the blame of just this. It's got to be something else is going on in their life. And people point to Caroline Flack with the court case. That would have got on top of it. Oh, she suffered anxiety and depression before. As though that's the main cause. It's not what the what people on social media are saying or what these mouthpieces are saying or what the newspapers are saying. It's these other things. So the blame is then taken from there and pushed to there. Um, and a, an example of this, he tried to say that someone's not strong enough. And I, I think someone who's showing incredible strength is Jamila Jamil. The, the press, especially the tabloids and the people who are the mouthpieces for these these outlets, they know exactly what buttons to press. They know what to do to get people to buy into it. And they are the ones who are responsible. Um, and the fact that um, Jamila Jamil is so strong-willed that she's able to face this head-on and is willing to speak out, I think she's going to be... Um, I think we'll look back in three, four, five years' time as her as being one of the strongest people, one of the people who actually chained perception on how the media talk about people and how we deal with people, especially those who are vulnerable. 
I think the reaction to her might be somewhat different if she was of a different ethnicity. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I mean, going on to that, the, the fact that, you know, racism has be, become even more acceptable in the media is a terrible thing. When, you, when you're considering the two guys that we've been talking about is also, you know, their sex and mm. the fact that women have far less of a margin uh, in which they can operate in um, when they are celebrities. I mean, in general life, but particularly celebrities. And I think if you look at cases like um, Ant McPartland, who was in the media for drink driving and hitting a, fam- a, a family in another car, I believe, um, and there was a kind of a tutting, and then there was a kind of, and now he's on the road to recovery. Now he's on the other side of it. Now things are back to normal. Can any can either of you guys see that uh, courtesy, as it were, being extended to either Caroline Clark or Jamila Jamil in the same situation? Not at all. And even you mentioned previously, Amy Winehouse. Where was the you know the the support for her? Um, I mean, the whole pursuit of her was just entirely ghoulish. It was disgusting. But you've also got to look at, and um, I think race and sex comes into, and I think sexual preference as well, um, comes into the mental health discussion a hell of a lot as well. Um, because, again, for, for men, you've got the whole side of it where we don't discuss our mental health um, because it's it's not it's not a masculine thing to do. And women don't discuss mental health. They just gossip and, you know, chat and stuff like that. It's still for them. But women have no margin forever. You look at Harry and Meghan. Uh, Harry and Meghan decide they want to leave. The blame gets laid solely, or at least mainly, at Meghan Markle's feet. And they decide that, look, the British side of it, the way the British press manipulate it, it's not good for us to be here. They don't want to bring their child out in up here and do it. So they've decided to go. Whatever they want to do, that's fine. Um, but the blame doesn't get laid with him. The blame gets laid at her door. And again, I think, again, it's because women have less margin for for being flawed. And it's it's just not right. It, it is disgraceful that it is allowed to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And bigotry, which is you know what it is at the heart of that, especially as you know Harry is white and part of the establishment, and you know Meghan is not. Um, the bigotry at the heart of that is like there are several strikes against her in the, in the public view or in parts of the public view, um, and this is what is. The cause of othering so you don't get explicit statements that um oh we don't like megan because she's black or we don't like her because she's you know from north america or that she's a woman you get this oh we'll judge her by her actions and then of course the actions that she's partaking in are, are nothing to criticize but the very fact that you've highlighted them and you're saying well we're othering her for this it leads down that line of well she's always going to be somebody who's who's now marginalized it's it's sowing this seed of distrust in the way that she behaves it, and there's a you know this thing of uh, you know actually picking out somebody's sexual orientation or um you know their ethnicity is not done it's done not done in a explicit way it's done in this crypto way so that uh, you don't get into any legal trouble because it's hate speech when there is very little regulatory power around 
the way people are described in the media and the way that they're treated, then you can use these othering techniques just to marginalize. And it, it, to go back to you know the impact on mental health, this means that vulnerable people uh, like Caroline Flack can end up in a state where she feels as if she wants to take her own life. And people like Jamila Jamil, who is you know, superficially looks fine, you know, she's conventionally beautiful, but she has, you know, internal problems, physical problems. Uh, and so she reacts in a different way. But this, this it's the same impact there being othered for not being the people that you're supposed to like. And that is, you know, it's covert bigotry that becomes uh, encoded in the media and then that trickles into social media. Although I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys think about the impact of social media versus traditional media on this as well. Yeah, I think with social media, it, it amplifies the problem because Jamila Jamil, to mention her again, she came out last week and, you know, it's not a case of that post had time to breathe. Almost immediately you've got people responding um, and there was a mixture of positive and negative reactions to her. But again, there's there's very little thought, and it didn't. There seemed to be quite a, a lack of compassion and empathy um, in some of the responses, and I think also a little bit of the something which has become probably more and more noticeable in in recent years that what about isn't more putting people on a pedestal to detract from our own insecurities or our own weaknesses. It's it's easier to laugh at someone else than it is to actually reach out and put an arm on their shoulder or you know, ask them, how are you doing? Um, and the press in such circumstances can be pretty, pretty vile. I think uh, Phil Schofield also came out last week or the week before. And there was a post from the mirror. It was on the Twitter, on the Twitter, on Twitter, sound like a granddad, um, just saying Phil comes out with bizarre statement on Instagram. And I think that was actually edited or deleted and then reposted to interject there there's a difference um of, of thing of, of again reaction based on the sexes obviously philip schofield comes out as gay which there's a whole other debate on to whether that should be news or anything like that I, in, in 2020 it shouldn't matter it shouldn't be news but it is and great great that he's able to come out and do that but on the whole i would say there was mainly a positive reaction to that um it's a uh, well done philip well done philip um there was like, it was just the, the post i was going to mention was to say the language used was one of um you yeah, know it was quite negative or you know the fact that someone's coming out and calling it bizarre it's yeah. like it you actually click on the link it's not bizarre it's just a man speaking openly and honestly about his sexual orientation there was nothing bizarre bizarre about it but of course. it's just how these things are framed um and i think because of the immediacy of social media, these things are very quickly forgotten. Now, it was quite interesting after Caroline Flack unfortunately took her own life. There was reports on The Guardian, I believe, saying that certain tabloids were deleting negative articles that they had written about Caroline Flack. The scum were doing it, yeah. And that's quite alarming and speaks volumes for the, the lack of responsibility that newspapers have to show in such instances because they can just whitewash their their history yeah but to touch on to, to touch on them though when they had kelvin mckenzie in charge and everything happened around hillsborough and what you know the damage he did 
And at the moment, they have a guy called Dan Wooten or Wooten or have you pronounce his surname in charge. And he seems to be the second coming of Mackenzie. The guy, when you go and look at his, the stuff he says, he's a hypocrite. Um, again, he spent weeks slagging off Jamila Jamil for her side of it and her mental health and, the, and what she was saying. But then an outpouring of emotion for Caroline Flack. Um, and again, I'm not saying he's wrong to be sad for Caroline Flack if he knows her and things like that. But it's the hypocrisy. And when you actually look at the stuff the son's been peddling under his, his leadership, it's going back to what it was like in the 80s. Why are they not learning their lesson? Why you know it's just it's really it just blows my mind that they're able and they still get away with it time and time and time know, again yeah. and they don't learn. Well, yeah, and, and again, it's coming back to you know responsibility in the media, and I think that you know as you said, Ben, that mirror tweeting out one comment and then retracting it because it felt as though the general sort of social media direction was to be positive towards Philip Schofield. And it seems as though they did a quick vault fast on that so that they could be uh, aligned with the yeah, the social mood and the social feeling uh, around him. And to you know tie that in with what you were saying, Brad, that's very much what they appear to do. They use um, social media. The, the traditional media are looking to social media to see what are the topics people are interested in. And it, because social media is unregulated, Oh, it supposedly is, but it's not. Um, if if it's a topic that is inflammatory or damaging or unnecessary, they will still jump on it if it's if it has popularity. And as there's no correct regulation for how that should be, um, you know, touched on and, and followed, then it can be very damaging in a very short space of time. And like you say, newspapers like the the Sun won't um, hold back on that. They can because currently they can afford to make quote unquote mistakes, which of course are deliberate actions, and then pay their way out of the issue in in the future once it's been um, investigated and they've been fined. And you know that level of responsibility and accountability is so low for them; they don't have any general fear. Them and other outlets like them, they don't have a general fear of regulation preventing them from doing it. So. Yeah, social media, it's it can be, you know, it's a force for good and a force for ill. But I think that I think that we can agree that traditional media using them as a barometer of people's feelings and then bringing out unedited copy that is based upon those feelings on social media is massively irresponsible at best. Yeah, and I'm looking at a tweet right now which really amplifies it all. The Mail today, you can almost play Daily Mail bingo with this. They've got a piece on their online section which has the opening line of the interior of Love Island presenter Caroline Flax, £3,000 a month apartment where she killed herself. That is disgusting. Again, you've just had this outpouring of emotion over the past few days and now you're benefiting or you're you, you're you're putting it up to show to get clicks i don't know what the article is because i'm not going to click into it i'm not i'm not following it. it's just what someone else has put so the article could be very respectful i know but that is a clickbait title that's designed to feed on her suffering and her tragedy yeah exactly i think it if anything it it undermines her suffering but just by the the 
I mean, they know what they're doing, but including how much her apartment is worth instantly. I mean, most people couldn't afford that amount of rent for an apartment. So it immediately makes her someone you can't relate to. You know, the common, I hate that phrase, yeah. but the common man. Yeah. Oh, 3,000 pound girl. What's she got to worry about? That's a great observation. Yeah. Yeah. Look at where they, look at the way they, uh, frame um raheem sterling if he spends his money oh my god he's got all this money blah blah blah. if he goes cheap or does something cheaper why is he doing it this way um and again there's something different about raheem sterling to what they like and i can't quite put my finger on it is on what it is with raheem sterling a bit like the difference between megan and kate yeah yeah i can't (sighs) yeah whatever that is anyway i'm sure people can work that one out um, but yeah, and uh, it's actually ironic actually that we get to um, this 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 article piece, and it mentions three thousand pound a month um, because one of the discussions I was planning for this week was the role of money in mental health, um, and I will save that properly. But yeah, it's that three thousand pound a month is so that people go, but she's uh, she can afford that. Why has she got these problems? She can't have these problems. She's got enough money to afford a three thousand pound a month apartment. And it adds other pressures. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I, I do believe that there are extremes when it comes to money. If I had money or I had more money, I'd feel probably in a much better place knowing that I could just afford my rent. We could afford to replace the car we've just written off. Um, I could afford to put food on the table every single day properly. Having money gets rid of those worries. But also... It doesn't mean there aren't other worries. There aren't other things that can play on your mind, other pressures. And the way that the male, especially for this, use that the value of a house or the amount of rent they pay or how much someone's earning as a way of going, they're not like you and me. Is again, I've used this word a few times. It's disgraceful. Yeah, it's a literal value judgment, isn't it? And you would hope that if society was sort of recalibrated so that these things are the exception rather than the norm that that wouldn't that they wouldn't be able to get away with clickbait headlines like that which are just uh technically they're not you know you can't litigate around them you couldn't take them to court for saying it because it ostensibly is fact but the intention behind it is again othering and it's critical and uh it's a vicious way of saying to people keep to your lane or we're going to, if you don't do the things that we want um, or that we will accept you doing, we will criticise you for it and we will other you and, and monsterize you. That's yeah, a terrible thing. And it is manipulative as well. And they've got manipulation down to an art. And it's the media will manipulate and it's they manipulate for what they want. It's the reason we have the current, the current conservative um, government we've got and will have for the next God knows how many years. Because they've managed to manipulate them into that position. Yeah, Ben. Ben made a really good point um, off mic before about how um, the, the media outlets that we have in this country, in the UK, are all owned by a very specific group of people, and um, that really does stifle breadth. You know, the breadth of coverage. Um, and the depth, because once if you have a, a if you've created a consensus by only having one voice that's spread across several newspapers, 
then you don't need to go into any depth because you don't get challenged um, to do that. Obviously, we can't obviously hold up uh, the UAE as a moral compass as such. <laughs> um, but what's the media like out there, Ben, in that sort of area? A lot of it's government controlled. And you certainly, there's been examples of people that have spoken out, not quite to the extremes as perhaps in Saudi Arabia, but people that have been critical of Dubai or the UAE on Twitter have um, subsequently been, I don't know if prosecutors the right, right word, but basically, yeah, they've they've opened up a can of worms and got themselves in, in trouble. Yeah, I think, you know, um, if you're looking at media in general, I think there are problems systemically across the globe. I think it's currently really bad in the West because there has been a shift to the right. That's not my opinion. That's actually fact. If you look at the parties in power. What do you think, both of you guys in turn, what do you think that we can do to protect our mental health from the things that we're bombarded by negatively like this? Do you, do you have any sort of things that help you cope? Yeah, so something that I mentioned it on the last episode of you know going through sessions, uh, counselling sessions, etc. Uh, one of the things which was really helpful for me was to clean up my social media and it not from the point of view of creating an echo chamber where I only see nice things, but taking away some of the things that would perhaps previously I I wouldn't recognize were having a negative impact on me. But yeah, I, I made a point towards the middle of last year of just going through and actually looking at some of the, the accounts I was following and how they could be influential if I was subconsciously scrolling through, if that makes sense. And just tidying up, you know, some of the things that I should, yeah, some of the accounts which occasionally are funny, but then you actually read them and it's, yeah, some of them were, you know, it might be a funny video or a funny picture, but then other times it could be something that's actually quite mean. And actually, if I'm liking that or sharing that, yeah, or I'm adding to their algorithms, am I contributing to the problem? And I think cleaning up my social media one of the reasons for doing that, I think, was also to regain a sense of empathy um, and also the compassion, you know, that we show to other people and certainly that I was showing to other people. It was just readdressing that a little bit. So just to circle back, yeah, I I try and say avoid overly negative posts, uh, whether that's about myself or about other people. Um, and I think that helps me then from you know, it used social media positively. Cool. For for me, it became a case of initially I removed myself from social media completely in the hope that that would completely help fix my mental health. And it it didn't. It did for a little bit because there was a huge weight lifted. Um, but then I decided to go back to Twitter and use Twitter. Um, I don't think... you. I think if you take yourself away completely, you you lose any kind of sense of what's actually happening in the world. I'm okay. I've got to know what's going on. So social media has got to be in my life in some aspect, but I don't want to know the people I know, their ins and outs of daily life, their ins and outs views, because that's making me lose respect for them and also for myself. And that was causing me a lot of depression and anxiety along with it. Yeah, I think it's really important to know your boundaries. It's easier for us, I think, being older, um, you know, not senile and decrepit, but 
you know, with a little bit of wisdom and maturity, hopefully. Um, and I think younger people can be a bit more vulnerable. But like you say, yeah, you can't just exclude social media. I mean, think of all the incredible things you see, whether it's just like, you know, lovely cat pictures or <laughs> stupid videos or, you know, people doing amazing things or publishing incredible scientific research that can change the future there's so much positivity there the fact that there's a ton of negativity doesn't prevent it also being amazing and sometimes beautiful so yeah caution is advised and and i suppose the only thing that i've done is is yeah be a bit more cautious limit my exposure to the things that that cause negativity and to just realize that yeah knowing the news you know what's happening in the world is important but that doesn't mean that i need to continuously dwell on it that i need to subscribe to things let's just pick one out of the air climate change you know i barely even like to talk about it because just doing it can bring me right down but um so i have to limit my exposure to it not to the point where i become uh you know unsure of what's going on in the world and the extent of the impact but so that I'm not dwelling on it and it's not damaging my mental health because there's only so much that I can do as an individual and therefore exposing myself to negativity in that way continuously would would be poor for my mental health so yeah I've taken control over it in that way a little bit and I do watch a great many more cat videos than I do stuff about climate change maybe that's the answer watch more cat videos generally it is I think yeah yeah just briefly I think the press, you know, in all their forms, and the general public can both do better. Uh, the public, you know, as you said there, Stu, we can de demand more of ourselves, question sources, we can you know, be more active participants in how we consume uh, various forms of media, and the press can act with much more responsibility, you know, with a degree of compassion. But unfortunately, I don't know what is going to be the, the turning point. I think with incidences like Caroline Flack's passing, you maybe change a couple of people's opinions and slowly, like you mentioned earlier, gradually, perhaps it's a generational yeah, change. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how quickly we can affect that. I suppose the, the only thing is to, if you, we, I, me, you, we can be better within ourselves, be kind humans, that can then help someone. Uh, like we've spoken before, if one person listening to this, it, makes them feel better or encourages them to speak out absolutely that's a positive change so mm. and it's not just that we just take care of ourselves but you know we look after ourselves we can be better in ourselves then that can help the next person along so perhaps it starts that way perhaps it starts small yeah and just obviously to wrap this bit up um because again i think it's something we could talk about probably for hours but just about this bit up is by no means are we saying that obviously that we have the answers to any of this and i don't think there is any one answer but one of the things the movement started is to be kinder to each other um, i'm hoping that isn't just a one week two week fad i'm hoping that is the start of something now i don't know if it's because i've taken more notice of mental health initiatives over the past week since obviously setting up setting up mental health games i'm following more people on twitter and things like that with um who discuss mental health but it does seem to be talked about a hell of a lot more um and hopefully the message of be kinder to each other is something that does start to come through and if the papers aren't and the media aren't going to change their ways on their own hopefully this and 
us as a human race and this be kinder thing can start to change their mind. They have to start selling their 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 stories in a different way, and it's not just going to be through funding hate. But anyway, we said we we don't want to finish on these notes, so we'll wrap up the podcast with a quick follow up of what we've been playing, guys. Um, we should do this to start, but we'll just finish off with a, a touch on what we've been we've been playing over the past week. So, Stu, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So, really wanted to talk about the VR games that I've been playing. So, I came across VR about three years ago at uh, a pop up of the arcade club that was in Berry. That is in Berry. Uh, they were doing a pop up in Manchester, so I went along to that with my wife, uh, and we loved it, obviously. But there was a corner for new tech. And I really wanted to have a go on the PSVR. So there was this little kid who was hogging it. So I just kind of stood over him for about five minutes until he got the message and finally put them down. And then I wasn't a uh, a hog. I went on for only about five minutes. And uh, even that was just an amazing experience. And I played on the Rogue One game, demo game that you get if you had Star Wars Battlefront. And just that feeling of being in the cockpit of an X-Wing and fighting against the Empire. Absolutely amazing. So, seen as I could after that, bought a second-hand PSVR. Loads of games on that. Absolutely fantastic. And then when Half-Life Alex was announced, I was like, yeah, no, I've got to play that because I'm a, a bit of a Half-Life 2 particularly obsessive. So I bought an Oculus Rift S because uh, I have quite a beefy PC, so that was the best fit for me. And I've been playing two games I want to talk about. Uh, the first one is Robo Recall, uh, and the best way I can describe that is if you imagine, if you remember a game called Binary Domain, it was published by Sega a few years yep. ago. Yeah, imagine a sort of cross between that and RoboCop, uh, but with a really dumb and goofy sense of humour. That's kind of what it is. So you, you're placed in an arena, and you have your two Oculus Touch controllers, which are separate. Both have and uh, analog sticks on them, but they also are motion sensors. So imagine the Wii, the Wii motes, but kind of a million times better and not tethered to each other. And you're also in VR. They operate like guns. So you've got triggers and you've also got on the touch controllers grip buttons where your fingers go. Now, these are just starting to appear in the mainstream a bit. So they're on the Steam controller and they've just been released as an add-on that you can buy for PS4 controllers. And in the uh, Oculus Touch, they are literally only used for grip. And when you press them, you can see your fingers move in VR. So you grip with those to pick up a weapon and then you use the triggers to fire. Incredibly immersive. And you've got this kind of iRobot-looking slash, as I say, binary domain-looking environment. And you're blasting these robots in a sort of horde mode, wave shooter style. You can teleport uh, around the level as well. Uh, and the idea is to teleport yourself into the best spot so that you're out of their range of fire and uh, and can blast away from behind them a lot of the time. And the feeling of immersion, it, it's just fantastic. And it, it's so good, so much fun, really immediate. It's one-to-one -one tracking, so you really do feel like you're firing these stupid mega weapons. Uh, it's got a really good particle-based system, so you can buy bits off things. You can even melee and pull stuff apart with your bare hands. Uh, if you imagine also, to just another comparison, Virtua Cop, but in full 3D, full immersion, a million times better graphics, and one-to-one -one gun mapping, 
that's roughly where we are. It's absolutely superb game. Can't recommend that highly enough. That's Robo Recall, and that's in PC VR. Can't get it for PSVR, I'm afraid. And the other one is a early access game called Until You Fall, and again uses the grip controllers. But this is like a a neon surrealist view uh, night sort of medieval night style fighting game where you uh, it's also a roguelite where you pick up a pair of swords you go forward through these missions you have to trash all the enemies in front of you and you have to block and counter if you played red steel on the wii with the wiimote plus that's the closest you can get but again like robo recall this is a million times past that now um and it's a roguelite, so you go to, you get killed by these ridiculously overpowered knights, go back to the start, spend the XP that you've accrued on better weapons and magic and buffs and all that. It takes two seconds, it's not like a deep system, and then you thrust back into it again, and you're chopping down all these knights and parrying, and all in, again, one-to-one controls where the swords are entirely mapped to your controllers. Um and yeah, both of those incredibly immersive. They're things that you can't replicate at all with with regular console or PC gaming, and a really great advert for for uh, for VR. So if you have the opportunity, check them out. Robo Recall and Until You Fall. Excellent, Ben. Yeah, only one thing of note. So I have been dipping in and out just where I've had time uh, with New Star Manager, which is a pseudo sequel to the mobile behemoth that was new star soccer now new star soccer got ruined by in-app purchases and the mobile version of new star manager was pretty much the same uh but happily thanks to the, the billions and billions that they made from the iops from new star soccer new star manager actually got developed for consoles uh, released first on switch at some point last year and recently released on PS4 and Xbox. I think it's on PS, uh, sorry, on PC as well. If you don't know, it's a very simple football management sim, um, certainly nowhere near the depth of a champ or a football manager, but it does have one quite cool feature. So when you're playing matches, uh, as well as getting text updates on how the match is unfolding, you also get the chance to control like random passages of play the controls are really simple, but they're effective. And it's just quite a nice addition to, you know, be able to influence the on-field action. Again, it's not to the, the level of, oh, you're suddenly playing FIFA. It's, I say, it's all very arcadey, very simplistic. But yeah, it's it's just quite novel. I, can't, I couldn't think of a, another game of that ilk, which allows you to, I suppose, sensible world of soccer would be one but you actually controlled the whole game. You didn't just, you know, and you didn't have quite as much depth on the management side. Um, but no, I find playing the game quite meditative and quite relaxing um, because, you know, while it's pretty undemanding, it's it's very well made. I think it generally sells at around $13.99, but was recently available in the PS Store for £6.49. Somewhere between those price points is probably going to, be fine for most people but say it's just quite a nice relaxing undemanding game which i can just sort of switch off do other things whilst i'm playing it um yeah just a well to, well put together game yeah i i uh, i played that before the iaps and i really liked it but i got to a step where i'd spent uh lo- so much on my team that i couldn't afford to pay uh, to play because you had to pay to get into like the league or the next match or something and it was literally bugged to the point 
where I was completely dead in the water. So I'm assuming that they've killed that bug now and you, you never get stuck in that situation. Yeah, so you obviously generate income as you're playing um, and it's got a weird system. So you your players get paid, uh, I'm sorry, your players get signed to 40 match, 60 match, 80 match, 100 match contracts and you have to fund their wages for that period. So for example, I'm currently playing, I think I've got a couple of players, they've got nine matches left on a contract. I've got just about enough money that I'm at a point in the game where it's not too much of an issue, but there's definitely points where it's like, oh, actually I don't know I've got enough to pay them um, for an extension to the contract. So they just end up leaving, which is a little bit frustrating, but the game offsets that a little bit because you, as you go along, you also have the um, these cards that you earn and some of them are, are 20 match or i think you also get 30 match contract extension cards so if you've got a couple of those in the bank you can obviously use them when you're in a bit of financial difficulty but yeah it, it's just it's a very simple game it's something i i wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend i wouldn't say oh yeah you must go out and play this but i quite like well i like playing open world games i like playing games like this where i can just switch off a little bit and say don't demand too much from me. I can use them in a meditative kind of way where I can just yeah think through other things. But no, it's it's a nicely put together game. And I think you know, they've addressed a lot of the, the faults that were in the mobile versions. I've got a bit more time over the next week. So I'm hoping to actually finish Titanfall 2 and also pick up Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which I've had on my shelf for a, a couple of months. Excellent. So I'll touch quickly because I've been playing a game that I actually, before the subject changed for this week's podcast, I was going to talk in depth about. So I'll touch on it now and I'll talk about it more next week. But I've, I've been playing Cardpocalypse, which is a really fun um, card collecting, card battle game um, that's story driven. Um, and it's based around um, a small town and a school um, where there's these things called the power pets and they're like Pokemon levels are popular at this school and people play this card game. Um, and then the story branches out, goes all crazy and things like that. Um, but the card playing mechanics in it are really solid. Um, they're not as in-depth as, say, something like Magic the Gathering, which has been going for ages now or even Half Stone or anything like that. But it's got a really good depth to the card system one that I think they could actually break it out and become a thing on its own. Uh, but the story's really well done. Um, and the, the main reason I'll be talking about it next week is the way it deals with inclusion within the game. Um, the main character you start with is a young girl who's very tomboyish and just so happens to be in a wheelchair. Um, but it's never touched upon um, bar a mention of she needs to get stickers on her wheelchair. It's too clean. And that is literally the only mention, really, you get of it. Um, and all the characters are flawed in some way. Some are flawed, sorry, and some have things with them that, again, they're not picked up on. They're not pointed out by anyone. It's not used to drive a story or anything like that. It's not a plot device. It just is. And it is it, just really, really good to see that something like that is in a game. But yeah, um, it's not just that it's there. It is a genuinely really good game, and I hope more and more people get to play it. Um, I know it's available on Steam and Switch um, at least, um, and it's 
a fairly cheap. I think it's just over, just under fifteen pound for it. But there's a ton of tons of game in there. Um, really well made, fantastic art style, and yeah, just I've been playing that and recommend that to anyone to actually pick up if you've got any interest in card games at all. But yeah, that's that for this week, gents. Um, obviously, it's uh, been a long discussion over the week's event, so thank you for that one. Um, if you're listening on any of the usual podcast places, please subscribe. Um, if you're listening on YouTube, do subscribe because that'll really help us out. And yeah, um, I've been Bradley. I've been joined by Ben and Stu. Uh, thank you very much. And back next week. <laughs>